Welcome to the Left Wingers. I'm Kathleen. And I'm Brandon. Today we're in conversation with Mark Pinsley, who's running to be the Democratic Party candidate for Pennsylvania State Senate. He is coming to talk to us a little bit about his campaign, as well as US politics more generally. Mark, thank you for joining us and thank you for getting up so early. So the first question I'd love to ask is, uh, how did you get started in politics and what has led you to the position and the race that you're in today? Yeah, so I will say Trump was the one that got me involved in politics. You know, prior to him, I was really just a, a business guy. I've been in business all my life, uh, working for small companies as well as uh, large companies as an executive. Uh, and I'm Jewish. And so when Trump was talking about the Mexicans and the Muslims and all that kind of stuff, it like literally, you know, burned inside me. Like I needed to do something and I felt like I needed to balance the world out. And so that's what got me involved. And originally, I got involved at a very local level. Um, so in, in the U.S., we have, um, you know, municipalities. And so I live within a town called South Whitehall. And I joined the the party there or the the structure there. So I became a commissioner of South Whitehall. And that's just like a nighttime job, right? Like, so once every two weeks you get involved, you vote on whether to buy a new plow or whatever it is. And I actually really enjoyed that. I had a good group of people, uh, you know, mixture of Democrats and Republicans. We really got along. It was actually very nice. But there were more things that I wanted to do. Uh, and so what ended up happening was I ended up running for uh, controller of Lehigh County. And the county, you know, contains municipalities inside it. And so it's a much bigger uh, platform. And in this case, what a controller does, which I think is sometimes confusing, uh, is basically we're like auditors. Right. So, um, it, you know, payroll happens every two weeks. We audit the payroll and we make sure that it's accurate. Um, or if we're receiving money, you know, we primarily receive our money through property tax. We review to make sure that, pe- you know, people are paying their property tax uh, the right way. And now I'm running for state Senate. So once again, a larger platform. And what that has allowed, what the controllership has allowed me to do is see how money is being spent. You know, so recently, you know, we had something called the American Rescue Plan because of COVID. You know, we got $72 million grant into the county. And personally, I feel like we threw it into a dumpster and burned it. Like, I think we could have done a lot better with the money. So that's, I'm sorry, that was kind of a, a longer answer to a short question. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, it, it's great to hear. It's great to hear. So um, just take us through, obviously, people in the UK. So you're uh, running to be a senator. Um, what's yeah. what's that kind of process like for you? Like, when did you start the campaign? When when is the kind of final ballots? When will you know? Are there lots of events along the way? Is it kind of a multi-event or is it something you're doing in your free time? How are you managing that? Yeah, that's a great question. So first off, just to clarify, in the United States, there are two different types of senators. So one is a U.S. senator at the federal level, uh, which is what, you know, people around the world are most familiar with. So that's like the Ted Cruz's of the world, you know, and and, and better ones. <laughs> uh, but his name is well known, unfortunately. And then there's state senator. So at the state level, we also obviously have a, a government and we also have, uh, you know, representatives and senators. And so that's the 
that's the position that I'm running for. So it's a very state centric um, platform. And so what ends up happening is, um, you know, I started running oh, probably like four months ago. You know, a lot of times people don't run until that year. So uh, like my election is in 2022. In this particular instance, I'm battling an incumbent that has been there for a long time. And so what that means is I got to get my name known. I've got to raise money. And those are the two most important things. And, and some people would say the most important thing is raising money because you do all of the advertising, everything in the last couple of months, because nobody is going to remember your name anyway. <laughs> so that's been my role. And, and it's very difficult because I have a, a you know, full time job and then I go home at night and I make phone calls, you know, asking people who don't know me for money. Uh, which is always fun. <laughs> Actually, if there's if there's the worst thing about politics, that would be it. Hi, my name is Mark Pinsley. Would you like to give me a thousand dollars? Who are you? We don't really we don't really have that type of fundraising um, over here. It's a very it's a very different way, I guess. Uh, but I, I love the fact that you've come from local government. I think that's really interesting. One of the facts yeah. we have here in England is that uh, uh, seventy to eighty percent of all of uh, like a, the public or a normal person's interaction with government is through local government. So that's you know things like schools, things like bins, uh, traffic, you know, just things things like that, which are very like common or garden, but uh, uh, it's definitely really interesting. And those are the things that actually matter to people at the end of the day, right? Like, is your trash being picked up? Seems pretty important. You know, is your recycling being picked up? Um, but we, at least as Americans, you know, we focus so much at the federal level that we missed sometimes the forest through the trees. So as you said, local government, not only is it, is it more impactful on your life, but you actually can go reach out to your local government and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation much more easily than you can at the federal level, which is nice. It is, yeah. Uh, well, one of the things you've gone through kind of what the process is like running a little bit, but what is actually your platform that you're running on? How would you define your politics? Yeah, so I would say the number one thing today is like saving democracy. Um, you know, here in the United States, we are really struggling, probably since before Trump, but definitely since Trump, with two different views of what the United States should look like going forward. You know, and some of some people, while they wouldn't say they view it as a dictatorship or authoritar authoritarianism, ooh, that is the direction that they were headed, right? Like, so a very small group of people controls. And and our, my biggest issue right now is voting rights, right? And so there's this division, I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen, it's national news, you know, where Trump has claimed that, um, that there were more, things weren't counted correctly, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the proof, the science shows otherwise. Um, but it doesn't matter because what has happened is the faith in the election system has been eroded. And so we have to rebuild that faith. And the question is, is, you know, how are we going to rebuild it? Are we going to rebuild it trying to get everyone the ability to vote? Or are we going to try and limit the ability to vote? You know, and one side wants to limit the ability to vote, you know, under the guise of security, meaning only, you know, Americans can vote. And the other group, and this is the group that I'm with, wants everyone to be able to vote. Um, regardless of your economic income or your color or anything else. Uh, and so that's a real battle. Uh, and that's probably the number one thing on my platform right now, because at the state level, which may seem not important, but what ends up happening is we actually do control all the voting. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, like, so one of the things that you guys are probably familiar with is, you know, during a, a presidential election, 
our president election looks a little different. So we end up voting for people that vote for the president, right? Called the electoral college. And in each state that is done slightly differently, but overall with the same intent. In Pennsylvania, what happens is the popular vote within Pennsylvania assigns all of the electors to vote for whoever won the popular vote. So if Trump won the popular vote in Pennsylvania, he gets all 20 electors from Pennsylvania. And what the Republicans want to do is change that. So if they can control at the state level, the House, the Senate, and the governor, then what they could do is they could assign the Electoral College to some other way. So like one of the ways that they would look at it is by congressional district, uh, which would turn Pennsylvania from a swing state into a red state. And so like, I, I don't think that that's right. I think, I actually believe in the popular vote. I think that that's the way, I think that should be the way it is throughout the whole United States rather than this uh, electoral system that maybe had a good intention 200 years ago, but now it doesn't really have any value. So I think you brought up the electoral college and that's something that I, I find to be quite interesting. I've heard a lot from, uh, I read a Hillary Clinton's book and she, about why she lost the election uh, yep. and very much the electoral college was uh, very much present in that book. And I've heard a lot, I've listened to speeches from Al Gore, as you know, I'm sure Brandon and Ross have as well. Um, yep. So could you just highlight, like, why do you have the Electoral College? And why, if it seems like it's blocking somebody with the popular vote from winning the presidency or from winning uh, a part, you know, winning a seat or a, a post, why do you have it? And why would it not just be sensible to get rid of it? Or is there just no political will, I guess, to get rid of it? Yeah, so I guess twofold. So one thing, like, so going back to why it was formed, I actually do believe that the, you know, that our founding fathers, I don't know as though they believed completely in the population, you know, in the, in the general population. Uh, you know, at that time, communication was much different, right? And so they thought, oh, okay, well, we just want to keep it to those that are in the know. Um, well, today that's different. Like communication is vast. You, obviously the internet, you can get the information that you want. So from that perspective, you know, I mean, I, I Think that the electoral college was a mistake right from the beginning but i understand how they got there um right now the problem is the republicans haven't been able to win a popular vote so there's no way they want to get rid of the electoral college and so you have enough states you know that are red that are you know republican based that they will not vote to get rid of the uh, electoral college you know so as you mentioned gore so bush won he would not have won if it wasn't for the electoral college uh trump won he would not have won i mean hillary clinton blew him away on the popular vote side right um so that's the problem the problem is is like the weaker party in this case actually controls what more do you think we can be doing as the left or um you as a democrats to combat that kind of right-wing populism that tries to kind of spin democracy and uh tries to exclude people from voting how do we actually try to fight against that it's a long-term fight and it really is education. You know, so one of the things that, that at least here in the States, you know, the Republicans are against is what they consider our liberal education. And uh, I don't blame them for that. I don't know as though our education is so much liberal as it is informing. Uh, and when you become more informed, you know, the, some of these policies, you know, like, you know, slavery and things like that, they, they fall by the wayside because we're educated now. Um, and I think we need to do that, by the way, around the world, because there does seem to be a slide towards, you know, dictatorships and, and all the bad leaderships. Uh, and I don't know why. Like, you know, economically, we have been doing reasonably well. Um, so I'm not sure why we're sliding in this direction. 
it's quite interesting that you mentioned the education system because actually we're having those exact same debates over here um the right in the uk are saying that um it's because of the education system that the young people are turning what they would class as woke or progressive um and that's that is a raging debate over here what do you actually consider and this is quite a big question, so I apologise. What would you consider America's greatest challenge going forward into the future? Uh, it's talking to each other. Like, that is probably the biggest issue. You know, right now, we are truly divided. Um, you know, so it used to be, you know, prior to Trump for me, like every four years, which is the presidential election, I would wake up, I would go knock on some doors for one of the, you know, whoever I wanted to win. And then whoever won, frankly, I went back to sleep right? Like I was just not that involved in politics. I had a business, I had a family, I had all those things. Uh, And what has happened since then is, is like, a lot of us are awake. And I don't just mean the woke ones. I mean, like, you know, both sides are awake and we cannot see each other's point of view at all. Um, And so, you know, you look at, so here in the States, you know, there's this guy named uh, Senator Manchin who has been blocking a lot of the, you know, left proposals and like, you know, he, so he even, even there, like he's on the farther right of the left, right? So he's closer to the center. I respect what he's trying to do. Like, I mean, I don't agree with him and I hope that he sort of falls in line, if you will, but he actually is trying to talk to both sides and he's got um, the reputation to be able to do that. And I hope, you know, as individuals, we can, we can come back to that, but that's the biggest challenge that I actually believe it's bigger than the United States, but I think that's the biggest challenge in the United States for sure. Well, I think there's no doubt within, definitely within the UK, we are seeing more of a gap between people's thoughts um, and their way of thinking. Uh, I'm interested to see though, you know, in the US, it's so different and it's such a vast uh, country. How can you sit and have those conversations with people? You know, you get different news. You don't even look at the same news. Uh, you're on your phones, you use different apps, you're in WhatsApp groups with people that only agree with you. Uh, Facebook, it targets everything, the, the things that you like, so you only see the things that you like, you don't see other people's opinion. Um, how, as a kind of candidate, are you, do, is it for you, you're actually just getting out the vote in your area and you think that'll be enough? Or are you making bridges with people that you think might not vote for you? And, and how are you doing that? Yeah, so it's interesting. So in where I live, I probably don't need to build bridges, meaning there's enough of a vote, you know, with just the Democrats and some independents that I wouldn't need Republicans. But I don't think that that's the way to go about it, right? Like, I think the best way to go about it is to talk. I mean, I do consider myself a progressive. I call it a practical progressive, right? I don't necessarily think that we can get all of the things done that we want. And and, it, and maybe they're wrong. You know, some of them are wrong, right? We don't know, right? Like, we have feelings about how to how to help the society. But in terms of sort of fixing it, I think we are like decades away, to be honest. Like, I think that this is going to be a long term reaching out to each other. And like what it will end up being is there's going to be some big thing that happens. You know, like COVID was a big thing, something like that, where people realize that we need to come back together. And I I don't know what that is. And, And I hope it's not a war. Um, you know, that I hope that we can find other ways of coming back together. And to your point, like, I I do think that we need to work with the other side. So like, in my case, I'm a business guy, as well as, you know, as well as a candidate. 
And so from a business side, you know, you would almost consider me a little bit more to the right, right? Like, obviously, I care about, you know, the economy a little bit more than maybe most. I care about some of the government programs. Uh, you know, we have, uh, we sell skincare and things like that. So we have FDA approval um, that we need to go through. So obviously, that's always top of mind for me, things like that. And I'm probably a little bit more on the right on that side. Obviously, deregulation is always good for my business. I don't necessarily think deregulation is good for society, right? Like we need to have those safety measures in place to make sure that you're not getting skincare that burns your skin, as an example. Um, but long term, I just think, we just got to keep reaching out. You know, I really do think, and I think that once again, using Manchin as the example, who, who is not my favorite person in the world, but I do think that he is trying to build some bridges and that we should look at what he's doing, you know, first with some frustration because we want to get some stuff done. Right. But then secondly, um, you know, with some form of respect like that he is reaching out to both sides and, and he maybe can build some bridges that we haven't built in the past or we haven't built recently in the past. So moving on maybe a little bit just to democratic politics. Um, yeah. We all saw Trump, you know, exit stage right in a very uh, fast fashion. Uh, and yeah. Biden has come in to deal with um, a kind of unique crisis. How, how do you think that he's doing from your perspective, from speaking to people on the ground? Uh, we've heard a lot of things about what he's been doing um, over here. And I think we expect to see him in Glasgow in a few months time up in Scotland uh, for the yeah. COP summit. Uh, how do you think, you know, speaking to average Americans in, in your area, how do you think he's doing? Yeah, so like, so let me be. So first off, I was a Warren fan. Like that was the person that I was hoping would win. I am very happy with uh, what Biden has been doing thus far. Like I, there's no perfect presidency, you know, so Afghanistan, you know, was certainly a mess. Uh, and. But look, you know, somebody was going to make that mess, regardless of whether it was him or someone else, whether they did it differently. I think no matter what, there was going to be a mess that was made. Um, so putting that aside, you know, he got us a ton of money, you know, for children, you know, that are on welfare. So he, he's raised people out of uh, out of being poor, at least for a short period of time. Um, he's been working hard on getting the vaccine out. I think he's done a phenomenal job and especially amongst, you know, pressure where some people just don't want the vaccine, you know, so, and, and I don't think that he, while some people are like, well, he's forcing us to do it. He's actually taken a very calm and pragmatic approach to making this happen. And at the at the end of the day, right, we do need to be vaccinated or we need to have gotten COVID and survived uh, in order to move on. But I think, you know, especially if he can get this 3.5 trillion passed, or I keep saying it'll be 2.9 because it has to be less than three, right? 2.9 or something. Um, I think if he can get that passed, I mean, that's going to be a game changer, period, uh, for you, for the United States. I mean, it's a lot of money that's going to go to a lot of people. And people can complain while they're working that Biden isn't doing the right thing, but they'll be working based on money that that Biden created. One last thing about that, too. Like one of the things that Trump actually did really well was when he sent out a check, he signed that check. So people saw it was his name. And that was a great marketing technique. And, uh, you know, Biden needs to be taking a lesson from that. We don't always need to. The president doesn't always need to be so far distant back in the, the olden days. Right. It was like, oh, they're way above us. You know, today we view the presidency still obviously as a as a top you know, elected official, but we also want to be able to go have a beer with that guy. Right. And so we should, he should take advantage of that. Like, look, this is what I did. I, I got you billions of dollars. I'm in trillions of dollars, actually. 
That's so strange because over <laughs> obviously over here we have that we have the head of government and we have the head of state in their two very different roles. Um, and yeah. obviously the president is obviously a combined, you know, it's the head of government and the head of state. Uh, yeah. I definitely couldn't imagine going for a, a beer with the Queen, that's for sure. Maybe maybe with Boris, um, but, but certainly certainly not with the Queen. Um, could I ask, in terms of, you know, the Democratic Party, it's quite spread in terms of uh, you have AOC, you have Warren, you have Bernie, but then you've also got Joe and uh, Hillary. You've got a lot, there's a lot of thought and idea within the Democratic Party. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the candidates that stood uh, to be president uh, last time around were were definitely elder statesmen of the party. And I was going to ask, mm. do you see, you know, when you speak to activists, do you see that there are young people coming through, young Democrats, which you think are, you know, you might not agree with in certain things, but you think that there are up and comers within the party? Or, or do you think that actually uh, politics is not really that interesting for people under 35, under 30? And actually, they're just keyboard warriors. And it's not, it's not something that they want to do. And there's a lack of talent, maybe. Oh, yeah, I know. I definitely think there's a lot of talent. And I do think that, that you know, there's always good and bad, right? And so one of the good things that Trump did was he got me and many other people inspired to come out, many young people. Um, so when I'm out and about, I mean, I mostly see young people. I'm probably more, I'm older than most of them, uh, which I'm happy to see. Like, these people have new ideas. Um, you know, they're less bigoted in whatever way. Uh, that they are right because why because they went through an education system right that taught them that we can all be fine uh, being ourselves um, so no I, I actually do think that there's a lot of good possibilities and I think the elder state statesman for the presidency this past time was the Democrats were so afraid of losing that they wanted to put in you know the old white guy because they thought he could win and in fact he did well, if, if we could start winning some elections, then we'd be we'd join you in that laugh. But uh, unfortunately, we're not. <laughs> we're not there yet. So there yet. you know, we can't really. It's a long <laughs> road ahead, I think. We've, yeah, yes, we've got yeah. a long we've got a long road ahead here. Yeah, here in here in the UK for sure. You, you mentioned kind of the need to bring people back together and to unite people again. How do you think Joe Biden is actually doing in providing uh, a unifying message for the American people? Do you think he's doing that well? Do you think um, there's room for improvement there? Well, there's always room for improvement. I think he's doing well. I mean, I, in fact, I'm frustrated with him on the other side, which is like, I want him to say to Mansion and Kristen Cinema, it's time to get in line, right? Like, we've brought it this far, or, you know, we've only got a few more yards to go. It's time for you guys to understand, like, I'm the boss, <laughs> which is not true, right? Like, I mean, they are all individual bosses, but at some point, you've got to follow the party. Um. So I would say I think he's doing a really good job of at least trying to mend those bridges. I mean, he was just where was he yesterday in the U.N., right? Wasn't he? He just gave a speech yeah, recently, you know, where he's taken his lumps, you know, like they're basically saying, well, can we really trust the United States? And I think it's a legitimate question. Um, you know, we have a change, a potential change in leadership every four years. Um, and obviously this was a huge swing. You know, from Obama to Trump and from Trump back to uh, Obama, I mean, uh, uh, Biden, that's a huge swing. So I think, nervous. do you think we, we're seeing um, a move away from kind of the Trumpian politics of America first? Or do you think that kind of uh, an attitude to foreign policy is going to carry on? Because um, you just mentioned the, the UN. Do you think that kind of attitude towards foreign policy is going to continue uh, with Joe Biden as president? No, I mean, I think that I think that he's going to be much more like we were, you know, he's got a long time in the Senate, you know, doing foreign policy. 
I think that we are making that shift, you know, towards looking at China versus the Middle East. Uh, and that will probably be a big shift that'll happen over time. I don't know how long that'll take. It could be five years. It could be 10 years. But obviously, there's concern about China. But other than that, no, I think that I'm hopeful that the alliances get rebuilt and become stronger than they were in the past. Because, like, I think we all see that there was a shift, you know, or a slide, uh, you know, towards the very, very far right. And, like, nobody wants to see Hitler again. Uh, yep, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah. But just you were speaking in terms of America's place in the world. It's, I think it's fair to say, you know, you've definitely had a uh, hegemony within kind of the global uh, political sphere for a couple of decades now. But but we, yeah. I think we seem to see, even though obviously the UK and the US are, are good allies, we seem to be seeing on a global stage more in front of Trump, but even so a little bit less with Obama, um, a kind of a rising of India, a rising of China. Are you confident that America will be you know, uh, the top, you know, the top country, the the number one in, in the future? Or do you think that maybe actually it might come to a stage where it's China versus America or China versus India in the future? I don't see a China, I don't see a US versus India anyway. Like we seem to have good partnership there. Certainly uh, US and China. Yeah, they're definitely going to be a fight. I mean, they, the biggest issue, of course, is they just have more people, right? So you have a billion and a half people your economy is ultimately going to be larger, assuming you can get everyone their jobs or a good portion of them jobs. I don't know that being, I think that we will always want to be able to exert some control as a country, right, to help democracy in other places. I don't know as though being the number one economic driver has to be where we are. We need to just be number one in the areas that we can be number one. Um, You know, the UK is still doing fine, right? Well, <laughs> we are, we are, but it's, it, I think it's safe to say in England, and I think any almost anyone on the street would admit this that we definitely were not. It's definitely changed our rankings in the world and like what we're known for. However, there are things like soft power, things like uh, you know the Olympics. We really did well in that for a country of our size. Things like um, our television and our dramas, which obviously are picked up all over the world. So we do we do better in certain areas, but we've definitely lost a lot of the economic power. Uh, especially yeah. with Brexit, we definitely um, moved away from a big trading block, and that will cost us economically in the future. Um, yeah, Brexit. I think well, I, I think was a huge mistake, unfortunately. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, first, you know, I've been I've been fortunate that I've been able to travel the world and, and you know, having a single currency is so nice. <laughs> you know, even when you just, you know, fly from one place to the next and you don't have to, like, turn in your whatever to the next um, to the next currency. Uh, it's just it's just pleasant. So I'm, I was sorry to see you guys decide to get out of that or some of you guys decide to get out of that. Yeah, fascinating. But, well, it's quite interesting kind of how these debates just kind of divide people in general because I would I would like to say that um I agree with Kathleen on pretty much everything. There's not very much that we personally disagree on politics wise, um, I don't think. But kind of the, the Brexit debate and the framing of that, even within the left has kind of split split opinion and and on this podcast we've we've got different opinions about Brexit and how it should be carried out and to what extent we should have Brexit and everything. Um, and it's quite interesting to see how those kind of debates do polarise people who should naturally be close together and be finding agreement on multiple issues that obviously matter to, to everyone. Do you think there's any of those kind of issues in America that are particularly polarising political opinion across lines that 
weren't necessarily the divide uh, the divisions before is there anything like that that can be pointed to in america well right now of course it's the mask mandates and the and covid you know vaccinations those are probably the things that are dividing well it's dividing not so much the left we're we're pretty focused on that but it's definitely dividing the right you know as to whether or not um they want to get vaccinated or they don't want to get vaccinated um Beyond that, I mean, I think that there are, there's always going to be issues, you know, and especially like on the Democratic side, we are a bigger tent than the Republican Party, you know, so you do see the AOC, you know, as well as the Joe Manchin in the same party, right? And so, you know, it's a great example of, you know, how we need to figure out like how to talk to, you know, ourselves to some extent, but it's, I, I really believe ultimately that it's good. I mean, right now, I think we're in my, my boss used to call it a pit, a point in time, right? So a pit, we're in a pit. Um, and that's where I think we are right now. We're trying to get out. And I do think it may be 10 to 20 years before we're actually out of it. Um, but I think that we're going to have to find way. We, we have to be able to have disagreements, right? And move forward. And like many of us don't know what the actual outcome is going to be, right? So Brexit 30 years from now could be the best thing you guys ever did. We will not know until 30 years from now. 30 years from now, Brexit could be the worst thing that you guys ever did. And we won't know for 30 years from now. And by the way, there's a lot of decisions that get made between now and 30 years from now that can either help or hinder that, right? Um, and so like, while we have these major arguments over things, I think to the extent that we keep focused on individuals, like are we, you know, utilitarianism in this particular instance, are we helping the majority of people over the longest period of time um, if we keep that in mind, then hopefully we try to do the right things. Yeah, I mean, so what I wanted to ask, maybe more focusing on your campaign, is what are you what are you kind of doing differently that you think, because we said at the very beginning of this interview, uh, you're coming in as the challenger. So you're coming in as somebody who wants to disrupt and do something different. Uh, yeah. How are you doing that in terms of, obviously you have a job and you, you do it on the evenings and weekends, but are you is there some kind of strategy that you're deploying? Are you uh, marketing maybe differently or are you standing on a different platform? And, you know, are you confident that on polling day, you've, you know, you've got a chance? Yeah, so I definitely have a chance. So the person that I'm running against, I ran against before and just narrowly lost by under 3%. In that case, it was about 1,500 votes. And I can tell you when you lose, and I was out of 90,000 votes. So when you lose by 1,500 votes, you're kind of like, what if? What if I had knocked on 1,500 more doors? What if <laughs> you know I had done all these things? Um, and so this time I feel a lot better because, you know, so part of my platform is, is that I'm the controller of Lehigh County. And so I've won countywide already. So my name is recognized. Uh, you know, I put out reports as the controller on you know, criminal justice issues, on healthcare issues. So from that perspective, I'm known. And I'm leaning into that, to be honest. And that's part of my platform, which is, look, the majority of people really don't understand how the money is being spent. I do, right? And I, ha you know, and I have a, a very... Uh, you know, I, I see, I literally signed the checks, right? Like, so every check that goes out of the county has my signature on it. Um, so, so I see where the money is going and I see what's happening. And at the end of the day, money still drives society. And so it's a matter of where are you putting those dollars? And that's where right now I don't have an impact. But like, so for an example, you know, I did a study on prisoners and I found that our prisoners for every dollar that they spend on a phone call, 70 cents of that dollar 
is going to the county as a commission. So last year, we made $750,000 in commissions. And this is off of not, not even the prisoners, but the prisoners' families, right? Like they're not, the prisoners don't have any money to pay for it. So that means the outside family is paying that $750,000. I'm completely against that, right? Like if we want to have a prison, I am fine with that, but then the society has to pay for that. And that includes phone calls, or at least there shouldn't be any, the prisoner, the prisoner's family shouldn't pay anything more than the cost. They shouldn't be supplementing the county's money uh, for phone calls. And it's not just phone calls. It's also the commissary. Like there's all these things that we make commissions on. So, so my platform, what it does is it leans into the work that I have been doing as the controller and like exposing that information to say, look, I understand what's happening. And I also understand how we can potentially fix it. And by the way, like right now, I, I am just as much going to show the bad of the democratic party as I am the Republican party. And on the board that I, the, the board of the, the county that I'm on, it's blue. And I'm putting these things out to them. And sometimes they accept them and sometimes they don't. But ultimately, my job is to take it out to the public and let the public battle that battle, give them the information to do it. So that's sort of that's. And as I said in the beginning, like and my biggest platform is just is definitely democracy. If I call somebody today and I say I'm worried about democracy, they're going to be like, I am, too. And that has never been true in my lifetime. So off of that democracy, you get in on the first day, you get those extra 1500 votes because obviously you came on the left wing, just never in Pennsylvania listens to us. So that, well, yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but in, seriously, if you if you're if, if you do win, you know, we wish you all the best uh, and you yeah. get in and it's your first day. What are you doing? What's that kind of first first day, first week, first month agenda for you? That's something that you, you know, you speak about democracy. Is it, you know, you're putting more um, polling places in areas with, with, with high demographic areas? Uh, or, or is it something completely different? Are you looking for a green agenda or, or is it something completely altogether that we haven't discussed so far? Yeah. So the number one thing that I would do is try and get big money out of politics. So here in Pennsylvania, like you could give me uh, not as a if you lived in in the United States, you could give me any amount of money that you wanted. So if you wanted to give me two million dollars to go run my campaign, you could do that. And guess who I'm beholden to. Right. If you give me that two million dollars. And so that's a major problem, especially with judges. Right. Like judges, we definitely should not be funding the way we're funding them now, which is the same way that I'm being funded. Right. Like you make calls, you try and get people to invest in you. But at the end of the day, large corporations and rich people can put in lots of money through PACs and super PACs and, and a whole bunch of ways. And we've got to stop that. Once we stop that, then we can actually deal with some of the I mean, we got to deal with these other issues at the same time. But if we can if we can actually change that, it'll be easier to deal with the other issues that you mentioned, like the Green New Deal, which I'm very much for. Um with getting uh with a lot like right now we're struggling with um vote by mail. Uh, we we did it this past presidential election. It went great, except all of the things that Trump said about it. So we need to fortify that. Um, but that would be the number one thing. Absolutely. Do you think that that's like realistically doable? You, you said I know you mentioned what for you is probably not a huge amount of money, like somebody donating two million to your account. But for, for us, that just seems 
completely insane. I mean, I think off the top of my head, the Labour Party ran their national campaign on, I think, was 10 million or less. And that was for the entire, that was for, you know, uh, England, Scotland, Wales. That was everything. That was that was the whole thing. And you were just talking about one race where someone can give you, you know, however many million. Do you think that that's realistic when America is, you know, full of uh, kind of big money and politics that's attached with that? I think it's going to be hard without a doubt, but I will say that it's it's a, an issue that both sides agree on. It's just not both sides at the at the congressional level, you know. So if you asked an average Republican or an average Democrat, do they think you should get rid of big money out of politics? The answer is going to be yes, because ultimately they want their voice heard and their voice is not heard if it's below the you know million dollar mark or whatever. Um, so yeah, I actually think it's possible. I don't think it's going to be easy. And I think that you've got to find other like-minded people and not just in the democratic side, but also on the Republican side. And if we can get to that, then I think at least stuff can get done, right? Like, so we can start voting on voting rights. So we can start voting on, you know, I'm a big single payer healthcare out, out here. So you, as you guys probably know, we have insurance companies, they make a ton of money, um, like, and I'm not for the way that they operate, you know, like one of the things that I believe is just like, if, if, if um, profit causes you to do the wrong thing, then it probably should be nonprofit. Right. So in, you know, the healthcare industry, you are incentivized to not provide service because that's how you make a bigger profit. So that's why I think healthcare should not be a for-profit entity in the United States. And yet it is, and it is huge. I just find it to be baffling when you mentioned like US healthcare. I just find it to be so like I've lived, I've lived in, I've been a Londoner for 23 years. I've been, uh, I've lived in England all my life pretty much. And I've never, ever had to pay anyone at any point for, for healthcare. Yeah. I mean, and that's the way it should be. I just, right. I can't, the, the stress that somebody must be under, like, I just, how can you get up in the morning and think, oh God, I really hope I don't break my arm today because I haven't got a spare 5k in the bank. I just, yeah. for me, it's it's that's just a, such an insane amount of pressure, and I hope I hope you are able to deal with that. Even um, I hope so too. You know, I got a call. So my daughter was is ill, just normal cold or whatever, um, and she's nineteen. And she texted me last night. Being sick is so expensive. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> wow, that's I just find that to be wow. That's incredible. It's terrible, right? Um, so it makes me feel so sad that people profit off people being unwell and people being sick. That's yeah, such a that's such fair. a sad I, I will thought. Tell you a real quick story. So I was in Germany years ago, and uh, I was going to a trade show, and I was just under the weather. I was not feeling well at all. Uh, and so, and I think it was Sunday, so like most of the apothecaries were closed, but they had something down in the you know in, in the hotel. So I go down there, and I'm like, "Hey, can I you know can I get a bottle of whatever aspirin?" Uh, and they were like, no, you can have one aspirin. You, <laughs> you Americans take too many drugs. <laughs> so they literally gave me one aspirin. I was like, okay, whatever I can get. Like, oh, that's very different. You know, we'd be popping aspirin all day long, probably. Or not aspirin, but Tylenol or whatever it is. Wow. That's, that's such a different... Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, what a what a difference. Um, I, hope, I hope that you are able to uh, reform that ever so slightly because I feel like people would need it. I, I actually was thinking the other day, I actually almost, I know maybe of the 15 people I'm closest to, I think I know three that don't have some kind of pre-existing condition that's not really 
their like there's not really their fault you know something that they weren't born with or picked up when they were in childhood or something happened to them once and now they have it for life and it makes me yeah. so sad to think that people in the u.s are charged for that um we That's just wanted true. to ask you a final question um moving on from that and we asked this to everyone who comes on the show, uh, which is if you've got one piece of advice for uh, for somebody young that's listening to this podcast, whether they're over in Pennsylvania, whether they're in the US, whether in the whether they're in the UK, wherever they are. Um, and it's one piece of advice from you to a young activist or somebody young looking to get into politics, maybe even become, uh, you know, run for run for a Senate uh, space like you are doing now. Uh, what would it be and why? I guess maybe twofold. One is do something that you love, you know, so that when you get up in the morning, you want to get up and you want to go to work and you want to do those kind of things. Uh, I, I think that's that would probably be the biggest uh, advice that I would have. And if you're going into politics or, or, or activism or anything like that, realize that it's an ongoing battle. You know, like it, it, it it's going to go on forever. Right. It's like a cop, you know, like who goes arrest this guy. There's going to be another guy to arrest tomorrow or the next day or whenever it's ongoing. So you're just trying to make the world a better place. Don't be frustrated by the stuff you can't get done. It's OK. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Obviously, uh, we, we've acknowledged you're, you're very early in the morning to talk to us <laughs> because of the, the time difference. And, we appreciate uh, it. We really oh, appreciate my pleasure. it. Is there anything you'd like to tell our viewers or anything that they should maybe check out if they're in if they're in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I mean, they can go to my website, which is votemarkpinsley.com. And that's P as in Peter, I-N as in Nancy, S-L-E-Y, votemarkpinsley.com. Yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out. I mean, obviously, if you're in the States, feel free to donate, obviously, because <laughs> that's what we do here. Um, but yeah, even overseas, I'd love to have you, you know, share some experiences and some comments. Like it all informs me and I would appreciate that. We'll definitely have you back. Uh, have you back on when uh, when the race is over, and hopefully you'll be uh, hopefully you'll be elected, and we'll be able to say that we're having our first senator on, and that would be a really <laughs> that great would be experience. great. I would love it. I really would be a great experience. We'd love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And yes, um, the link to Mark's campaign will be in this episode's description as well, so uh, you'll be able to find it there. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, so much, Mark, for agreeing to come on and talk to us. And a big thank you goes to our listeners for tuning into this podcast. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram or like us on Facebook. Don't forget to tell your friends about us. It's the main way we grow our podcast. Keep whinging and we'll see you soon.